You are now listening to Soul Power to the People podcast with Tess Fregera. It's a podcast designed to bring awareness on intended or unintended crimes against humanity, how we can rise above it, claim our divine inheritance, and return the soul power to the people. It's going to be an amazing, amazing podcast. It's all about truth. It's a subject that up until last year, I did not know existed. Human trafficking. So welcome, welcome, welcome. My name is Tess Vergara, host of Soul Power to the People podcast. And I have with me the beautiful Dina Nash, a friend of mine from BNI, and her friend, the executive director of the Stories Foundation, this sign to bring awareness to human trafficking. Dina, go ahead. Please introduce yourself. Yeah. So like Tess said, we met at BNI. I have a business that's all around um, elevating people with using essential oils and clean products. And so this is one of the things that we learn as network marketers is that there are so many people out there that need to be connected. And it's something that I do for fun and I also do it for business. And that's how I know Tess and that's how I know Stephanie. And so I'm so excited to watch the magic happen as we all kind of come together. Well, you have to share with them what you told me earlier about liking Soul Power to the People podcast Facebook page. <laughs> yeah. So as I was getting ready for today, of course, I was shamelessly promoting this to friends and family. And I'm like, oh, look, I'm only following the page. It's not liked. So I clicked like and Facebook popped up a warning saying you might want to look at the most recent posts before you decide to go ahead and like this. And I'm like, are you kidding me right now? So. <laughs> I know that we're doing something, shifting something when we're getting the attention that you're getting. <laughs> so we actually did a podcast on censorship and we also already did a podcast on human trafficking. And that's how we actually got talking about this, Dina, right? That you were talking about stuff. Yeah. And, and this is a nonprofit based on Minneapolis, correct? Yeah. Yeah, so a, a little bit about how that all came came to be. So like you, I didn't really know about human trafficking as a problem here. I always figured it was something that happened in like really big cities and third world countries and that kind of thing. But um, there was a bust that happened like seven miles away from my house. And this was like, I think the year before the Super Bowl came to town. Mm -hmm. And I was like shocked and heartbroken. I'm like, who, like, it's, it was a suburb, you know, I'm like, who are they, you know, attracting into human trafficking in my own backyard? Like, that means that potentially my kids' friends are, you know, part of that target, right? So I look, kind of started looking into it. And I found that the Young Living Foundation through my business was already supporting Hope for Justice, which is another nonprofit, but they're on a more of a global scale. Hope for Justice is based out of the UK. They work in England, Wales, Scotland, United States, Norway, Cambodia, Zimbabwe, Uganda, Ethiopia, Australia. Right? So they're like all over the place. And they have a four-step plan that includes prevention, rescuing, restoring lives and reforming into society. So ultimately the victims are prevented or they're rescued and then given the care and tools they need to be reunited with the community. They get medical attention and, and sometimes they get reunited with their families too, which sometimes their families are 
how they got into that situation. So it's a really powerful organization, but they only do some events here in the United States. And I don't think anything was quite right here in my backyard. So that's when I started looking local. And um, Stephanie happens to be in another one of my friend groups. And so she'd post events about her freedom truck. So at that time, Stories Foundation was doing a food truck thing that was fantastic. And that's how I got to meet Stephanie and follow her. And then um, I couldn't stay away from the cause and the wonderful things that they were doing. So I actually got to meet some of the board members. And let me tell you, this is such a great foundation. I am impressed with the authenticity and determination that Steph has. And every single person on her board has that fire inside of them too. It's so cool. So it was um, an easy decision to start connecting people with her and um, promoting the awareness of her nonprofit and she'll tell you what they're doing at the local level here with the Stories Foundation. Thank you for that, Stephanie. Such a wonderful intro there by Dina for you in your honor and in the work that you're doing. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into this work and why you agreed to come to the show? Yeah, so I am first and foremost a mom. I have four girls at home, um, a wife, a really supportive husband, partners with me in the work that that we do. I'm really grateful for him. Almost nine years ago, my mom and I were on a road trip and we re were reading a book. My mom got free on her Kindle about human trafficking. And I had no idea about human trafficking. I had no idea that slavery existed in our world today. I thought that we had handled that a long time ago with Abraham Lincoln. And I just had no idea that we that we were dealing with things in our world and let alone in the United States. And so after becoming aware, just I'm a person of faith. And I remember just praying and saying, God, this isn't okay. It's not okay that women and children mostly, although it's coming more and more to the light that boys are also affected um, in great numbers by trafficking. But when I learned about it, you know, the stories are about women and children. And I just said, this is not okay that women and children are being uh, abused and exploited all over the world and something needs to be done. And I felt in my spirit that God said, yeah, what are you going to do about that? And it changed, it changed the trajectory of my life as I became more aware about exploitation and, and human trafficking in not only globally, but I went home and I Googled human trafficking in the United States and Minnesota. And then when I just began to learn about what prostitution actually is, what really goes on in strip clubs, um, how pornography uh, is a part of exploitation here in the United States, there was no turning back at that point. Once you learn about something, I mean, it was horrible when it was overseas and I was ready to do something about it. But then when it's in your backyard, right in front of your face, there was just no, um, there was no ignoring it. So that's that's why I'm here is because I became aware and I thought, well, I have to do something about this. And and we started Stories Foundation with this idea that there are more people like us, that when they learn about trafficking, that they'll say this is horrible and we have to do something about this. So giving people first steps to be able to first understand trafficking and exploitation and then be able to be activated to fight against it in their communities. Right. And uh, Dina mentioned something earlier that it's their families that that's how they get into the situation. It's their own family getting into the, uh, them into trafficking. Can you can either one of you talk more about that? Yeah. Yeah. I I think we don't realize that 
the narrative about trafficking, especially lately, has been a narrative that's very fear-driven and fear-based, right? Like we have this narrative that children are being kidnapped from the bus stop or they're being taken from the park and kidnapping happens. That is definitely something that happens. But with trafficking, it's there. there's usually a relationship in place for trafficking and exploitation to happen. So there's a relationship of trust. So usually somebody is exploited or trafficked by someone that they've built a relationship with and they already have trust with. So Oftentimes, you're going to see trafficking or exploitation within families or within places where there seems to be safe relationship. Maybe that's a coach or a teacher or a neighbor or an uncle or a a parent, a boyfriend situation because what happens is the trafficker spots a vulnerability in somebody and the vulnerability could be this person doesn't have friends, they're, they're new to the area, or this person doesn't feel loved, or this person doesn't feel beautiful, or this person wants a new pair of really expensive jeans. I mean, any vulnerability, the trafficker is trained to spot that vulnerability, and then they start to cover it. So they come enter the relationship, build a relationship, and they start to meet that need. So if my need is that I'm lonely, that person that is not a safe person, the trafficker, they're going to come in and they're going to be my friend. They're going to want to hang out with me. If my need is is that I don't feel lovely or beautiful, or I don't feel like I have worth, that trafficker is going to spot that. They know, they see it, and they're going to come in and they're going to start to tell me I'm amazing and I'm beautiful and that they want to spend all this time with me. Um, And through that covering of the vulnerability, they build a relationship with the purpose of later exploiting that person for um, financial gain. That's so interesting. I remember... while you were talking, came back to me, there was one letter that was emailed to me. It was a very seductive letter, Mm. very seductive. It was like, and then I shared it on Facebook to point out that this is an example of how they lure you. They say Mm -hmm. all the right things. Um, They they talk to the deepest part of you that, that needs that recognition and that appreciation. But I'm like, Look, this is a grooming process. And you you know the kind of response I got? They defended that person as if that, oh, what if he really has feelings for you? You don't go about it that way. So right, I want the right. listeners to really fine-tune their listening skills because there are grooming techniques and tactics to get you especially because now with um, the lockdown, we are sharing our feelings out in the open. We have one uh, guest, Dr. Michael Nucitelli. He he exposed the dangers of the dark web. And he talked about that, that your responses on social media makes you a target to online predators. Yeah, yeah. And I think... Um, that's exactly right. I think that, you know, they say culture is the boiling, the boiling pot of water and we're the frog, right, in it. And you don't realize that you're being boiled until you're you're dead. <laughs> I know that sounds so terrible, but I think our culture is so individualistic and over-sexualized that we don't even recognize the warning signs because they're because it's become so accepted to have to be um to have sex be the epitome of everything, right? Sex equals love, 
every sex sells. We use sex to sell all the products. We use human bodies and and sex for everything. It's all around us. So for you to get, you know, an email like that, that you are aware of as grooming, the culture might say, oh, well, that's just someone trying to have a relationship with you because the only kind of relationships we really think are are like the epitome of relationships are sexual ones, right? And that's not true. Like we can have all kinds of beautiful relationships without sex. And often when I talk, I say that sex isn't a basic need. We think sex is a basic need. It's not, it's not a basic need. We're not entitled to it. And, but that thinking really informs our culture and it informs it informs the world of, of sexual exploitation and and trafficking as well. Um, so yeah, we need to we need to be aware and we need to be educated so that we can spot things like that. And then with the pandemic and everyone being in lockdown and everyone being online, the vulnerabilities have only increased. The vulnerabilities of loneliness, of depression, of um, isolation has perpetuated all that. And we are constantly on the internet and we do not whether you know it's hard to like imagine but we do not know the people on the other side of the internet unless we know them like unless you know them in real life you don't know them and that's tricky because that doesn't mean we should just cut ourselves off from the world but also we have to have an awareness that there are literally people who are looking for vulnerabilities to exploit and it's so easy to exploit via the internet because you're not face to face with that person. They can be whoever they want to be on the other side of the screen and you have no idea. And a lot of exploitation is happening actually through social media when it comes to our children and teenagers, because you might think you're befriending a fellow 14 year old boy. And really it's a 54 year old man or woman that is going to lure you into a relationship where you start to share vulnerable things, both emotionally and maybe physically through images that then can be used to blackmail you. It's a very slippery slope, very, very fast. Right, right. And and that pisses me off because not, not to divert the subject, but the exploitation happens not just in uh, sexual exploitation, but it's also happening in our political affiliation, in indoctrination of its, its well, Facebook. It's really... Uh, psychologically maneuvering and manipulating us to believe what they want us to believe. And it's really important that you know who you are and you know what you stand for in order to spot where your vulnerabilities may be exploited. And normalizing sexual exploitation, normalizing pedophilia, that's one of the things that, oh, why are people allowing this? So, uh, go ahead. What can you share more about this subject, Stephanie or Dina? Well, Stephanie is definitely the expert. On, like everything that I know pretty much came from her mouth anyway. So I'm going to let Stephanie keep answering the questions. <laughs> yeah, I think I think that what you said is exactly right, Tess, that we have to be careful about the messaging that we're allowing to influence us. And I think right now we're in a very divided culture. And I think, um, so the name of our organization is Stories Foundation. And what we really believe to be true is that every single person has a valuable story. And I am so passionate about that if we could come together in community and really know each other as human beings and listen to each other's stories, we maybe would get somewhere in being, in kind of coming together instead of being so divided. I think 
I just really am passionate about that, that as human beings, we share a common humanity and we share a common value. And when we talk about fighting against human trafficking, it really is that there are individuals out there looking for these vulnerabilities in all of us. And you're you are 100% correct that I think um, marketing is exploiting vulnerabilities in a way, right? Because, I mean, marketing 101 is seeing what is the need and how can we need it and and then playing to those needs. And um, so an extreme example could be that, you know, when people feel like they're not seen or heard or valued, those are real vulnerabilities within them. And so if you have unhealthy people that are coming along to use those vulnerabilities for their own gain, that's wrong. And so as human beings in community together, if we can come alongside people that are really hurting and who don't feel seen and valued and important um, and speak life over them, even if we don't agree, just for the fact that they're a human being and say, you know what, I see you. Like, I want to hear your story. I want to know more about where you're coming from. We might not agree, but because you're a human being, I just want you to know you're valuable. Like, if we could just start changing our language and changing the conversations, there would be, I believe, less exploitation overall um, and for sure less exploitation for sex or labor too. Um, human trafficking is a $150 billion industry per year globally. So people are making a lot of money out of the off the exploitation of human beings and in this manipulative um, world where it's alluring, it's a coercing and it and it's a manipulation of people for profit for for financial gain. So it I just can't say enough how if we could come together as communities and really be for each other and our common humanity, how that would change the story moving forward. If we can transcend that division and really come from uh, the common thread that you talked about, uh, this would be a much better world. Um, and it will truly reflect who we are, right? As a soul. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. Uh, a news today, is it from today, or published a day ago, Operation Game Over, 75 arrested in Super Bowl human trafficking sting. And I know you did uh, something last week about instead of watching the halftime, do this instead. Can you walk us through and, and what was the response of people in that project and uh, what can you share about the Super Bowl human trafficking again. This is news to me. And how is like is there a school on human trafficking that people go to? And why is it worldwide like this? It's yeah, mind-boggling. Yeah, yeah. So the Super Bowl is is an event where a lot of trafficking is known to happen simply because people are gathering together. And when people gather, then there's a need for exploitation because. The reason we have sexual exploitation is because we have an over-sexualized culture that lays the groundwork for sexual addiction, honestly. So if you think about pornography and the addiction that happens in our brain to pornography is very similar to an addiction to methamphetamines. We can become addicted to images and then we need to act out what is often very violent or things you wouldn't do with a partner that you have. And so then you go and you look for a prostitute. We know that 90% or more of prostitutes are not there by choice. They have been trafficked. So they, and they're not keeping their money. There's someone above them, a trafficker um, or someone, an exploiter that is 
gaining the income from that and they're trapped in that situation in that life. Um, also, the pornography industry is fueled by people who were lured and coerced into being in the pornography industry. And often it's at a young age. So the average age a girl is first exploited is 14. So if you think that a 14-year-old is first exploited, so even by the time they're 20, 21, or 18, 19, they have been told, they've been brainwashed that they have no worth, they have no value, and they have no choice. And so when we look at the whole industry of the sex industry of strip clubs, pornography, and prostitution, it really is fueled by exploitation, by this human trafficking where where girls and boys are lured into this business where they are trapped psychologically, where they're told they have no value and no voice. So then when you look at the Super Bowl, that's why such big events like the Super Bowl or like in Minnesota, the fishing opener is just as big as the Super Bowl, fishing and hunting opener for exploitation. It's because our culture has created an addiction to sex. And we've said we're entitled to it, specifically men are entitled to sex when they want it and how they want it. And so then they can just get a girl and use that person um, for, to satisfy their addictions. Um so that's kind of the Super Bowl. And what we really believe, I'm part of a group called Restore Honor, and we really believe that the antidote to ex exploitation is honor. If we looked at these people as human beings um, with souls, right, that we're more than just our bodies and that we are made for community and connection. And, and if we spoke a language of honor over each other, what would that do to exploitation? If young boys and girls were taught to look each other in the eye and that, and to treat each other with respect as human beings, like that's the commonality is that we all have inherit dignity and worth and value. And that was our lens that we went into the world with. Um, what would that do to change the exploitation story? So we said, hey, take don't don't watch the halftime show this year and speak honor over the people in your in the room or, or write a note of, of honor, encouragement. And it's so fascinating to me because that is very difficult for us to do. And I just would challenge whoever is listening to just try it. Like, try at dinner tonight to go around and speak words of worth and value and encouragement over the people. It can feel very awkward for us to be kind. We could be, at least for myself, I can be critical, easy, right? But to be honoring in how I talk to the people I'm surrounded with, and the, these are people I love that I live with, my family, that can be a difficult language and we need to practice it so that that becomes becomes our language is, a, is the language of honor. Well, they're going to ask you, are you drunk? <laughs> <laughs> Why are you being so nice to me? <laughs> like, there was a time I was so hungry for myself. I was so hungry to experience me. I went on burnout and, and uh, dark night of the soul because the appreciation in society is not there unless you're doing something to meet their goal, mm. not yours. To, to, mm. to follow the crowd, but how do we now encourage everyone to really look on your unique qualities and really start honoring and appreciating deep within yourself first. And when you have that level of compassion with yourself, now you can look at others. Oh my God, I was in yes. your place before, I was in your shoes before, I know exactly how to feel unloved and unseen and appreciated. But now because you've given it to yourself, you can actually authentically give that to others because that's yes. what's missing. It's It's been made wrong to honor yourself. 
Yes. Yes. I couldn't agree with you more, Tess. And what we say at Stories Foundation is live, share, change. And what I've really realized is exactly what you're saying, that we have to live our own story. We have to see the value in our own story and the value that we bring to the world or else it hinders the way we see other people. If I don't see the value in my story and in myself and see what I can give back to community, to the world, I'm most definitely not going to see the value that somebody else can give back to the world. If I'm being critical to myself, it's going to hinder my ability to be compassionate and empathetic and encouraging to others. I think I think insecurity in ourselves is where scarcity mindset comes from. It's where we don't collaborate, where we have competition, where we're extra critical of others. Insecurity in in who we are breeds all of the ugly things, I think, in the world. Bitterness, divisiveness, not being, you know, not forgiving. I, I really, I could not agree with you more. I love that your podcast is called Soul Power to the People because people want nonprofits or the government or church organizations or community organizations to come along and fix our issues of justice or injustice in our communities. And the reality is it's going to take each and every one of us recognizing how important we are to the community we live in and doing the education to become aware of what's going on around us and then taking small steps of action to love first ourselves and then love the people that come in, come into our, our spheres of influence, really. Yeah. Wow. Can you repeat that again? Live, live, share, change. So you live your story and then you can share it with others. And it's when we share story together, when we rub up against each other, that's where change happens. I I believe it's, and I really believe that in, in all, in all, issues of injustice, if we were to confidently see the value that we bring and then go and generously share with others, share our resources, share our experiences, share what we've learned, share our encouragement, share, just share, then we'll see stories of injustice change in our communities. And this is what pisses me off. Like my daughter said, this, the human species is, is facing extinction. It's true. If we are trafficking our children, what kind of future are we setting up? If, if these are children that not only were they taught to believe that they have no worth, but they've been abused, they've been traumatized, they've been hurt. Do you know that the, the people that I coach who've been through abuse, sexual abuse, or, or verbal abuse, or emotional abuse, or mental abuse, or even just abuse of pharmaceuticals, it takes a long time for them to bring, to come back to core. It's so such a long process. And, and, and I'm so blessed to be in this position to, to help people with that. But to, to see the enormity of the problem was what shocked me and betrayed me. It should not be an acceptable thing. And I am really calling out to people listening to this that we cannot watch this any longer. And so what can we do, Stephanie? What can we do, yeah. Dina? Because this is a problem that I cannot just shut up about. This This is what brought Soul Power to the People podcast. I, I cannot shut up about this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that I think that you're exactly correct. And what we have to do is we have to acknowledge that our culture, especially in the United States, is individualistic, first of all. So we're not a communal culture. 
And that's not anyone's fault. It's not even a negative thing necessarily. It just is. We are individual, individualistic culture, which means we're very good at caring for ourselves and our own. And we're not so good at caring for people that we don't consider ours to care for. You know, we're kind of like that whole, well, that's their problem. Pick yourself up by your bootstraps. Like, you know, and, and there's power in that, in that we are very entrepreneurial as a, as a, society, right? But the negative is that we don't see other people's vulnerabilities as being our problem. And that is the difference between a communal culture and an individualistic culture. And I would challenge everybody listening to take a hard look at themselves and say, how can I move from an individualistic mindset to a communal mindset? Who in my spheres of influence, like in the next ring. So I would consider our first ring, like our families, our kids, maybe like our kid's best friend, like our, you know, our parents, those are people we care for naturally, right? Who is the next ring do you have influence over that you could see their vulnerabilities and come alongside them? Who needs a safe home to come to after school? Who needs someone to check in on them to see if they're doing okay? Who needs an extra meal? Who needs um, a lot? I mean, a million, who needs their house looked at, you know, who needs to be checked in on? Because what's happening is there are people out there because, and to answer your question that I didn't earlier, you know, where's the school to learn how to be a trafficker, right? Like there are books on Amazon and how to be a trafficker. And what's happening is trafficking is replacing the drug trade as the largest criminal enterprise because you can sell a human being over and over and over again. You just sell drugs one time. So it's very lucrative to sell a person. So there are people out there because it is because it is a money-making business to sell people. There are people out there looking for these vulnerabilities so that they can exploit them. So we in our communities, and it's it's happening in every single community, exploitation is happening in your community. And so we have to have our eyes open to the vulnerabilities around us. And then we have to be willing to step outside ourselves, our individualistic bubble and serve and see and love others. And it, we have to be willing to risk ourselves. Maybe we risk some time. Maybe we risk some resources. Maybe we risk, you know, our the, the comfort of our home sometimes because we have strangers and I don't know what it is for you, but if you start to do a deep dive, first of all, education will make, will open your eyes in your community. And second of all, you will know the things you're supposed to do to cover the vulnerabilities. And it's small things. You know, people think that we have to like go start a nonprofit. And I always say, I mean, if you feel like you want to start a nonprofit, I'll for sure help you do that. But it's super, super hard. So you don't have to do that. You can start by you know, inviting, being the safe home in your neighborhood, making sure that your kids' friends have the snacks they like. You can start by checking in on those people you know maybe don't have a great family environment or have support or maybe they lost a loved one or maybe they spend a lot of time on the internet because that's how, you know, how they connect or you, we all know people that need a friend. And honestly, if we all could just have this mindset of seeing people with value and honoring them and loving them and covering their vulnerabilities, I truly believe that we'll start to see exploitation decrease. And the other thing is we have to start changing our conversation about sex. We have to have healthy conversations about sex. We have to have healthy conversations about relationships. We have to talk about manipulation. We have to talk about shame. 
We have to create safe spaces where we can talk about what safe touches. We need to be talking about these things with our kids so that they have a red flag if someone were to start talking to them in a way that's not appropriate, if someone were to hurt them. Um, because our culture is has been grooming us for years to accept sexual exploitation as normal and as okay. And we have to change the conversation and conversations change and culture changes because individuals change. And so the power really is with the people. Like it really is with each and every one of us individually taking an inventory, educating ourselves, and then in compassion, not shame, not judgment, but out of passion and compassion coming and thinking, hey, like, how can we do different where we are? Wow. Yeah, I would jump in here too. And that the struggle being that this is not the time to think that somebody's going to do the work, that Stephanie's going to do the work. This is an opportunity for those of us, you know, wherever our skill set is, if it's just to love on people, if it's to volunteer at some of these places that are meeting the vulnerabilities, but it's also the duty of the parents to teach kids how valuable they are and how to reach out to the kids that are in their lives that are displaying vulnerabilities too. I have three teenage boys in my house and we talk about these types of things about why it's important to, you know, love on their friends and to love on the people that maybe even seem like they're not being accepted into the group as easily also, because, you know, if we don't protect each other, nobody will. So it's time for us to stop saying somebody's going to do, to do the work and say, this is not okay. This doesn't settle well with me. I need to do my part. And only until we have you know, everybody, you know, doing their little parts. And so then it's no big burden for one person. We're all doing our little parts that we will see that ripple effect become that ocean wave. Wow. Yeah, that's so true. And yeah, it's it's no longer passing the buck, right? Yeah, she's going to do it. You're going to do it. Yeah, you have a unique role in this. I think it's happening for us to really step into the soul-powered leadership. And I also want to emphasize, this is not time to be silent any longer. If you see something that is wrong in the world, speak the fuck up. You gotta step up as a powerful leader that you are. You are powerful. You are powerful. And you just need to, to utilize your power of voice, your power of intention, your power of creation. Everything is inside of you already. Huh. If it really... It, you know, it, it makes me so mad that people just accept things as reality. And that is not true. It is up to you to do something about it. The truth will come out. The truth will come out why every one of us is doing something about it. Every one of us is stepping into our light. And every one of us is unwavering in our love for humanity. And the one thing too, you know, the, the normalizing of all these things that kill our soul, like abortion. I know that's not our topic, uh, exploitation, sexualization, and uh, the divisiveness, the, the indoctrination, the hate, you know, the crime of hate that they say is, is coming from here, but really it's, it's, it's again about manipulation and exploitation. They know that we're emotional about that and they use that to, to pawn us against each other. We need to wake up from those things and, and bring back life. It's sacredness and honoring life. And without that honoring of life, you know, we, 
there's so many things out there. We, we have to rescue the animals and such like that. But when it comes to life, our own human life, we turn away. Why is that? I, you know, I think that um, there's a lot that's a big answer. And I think that mostly we turn away from other people because there's a few reasons. I think we can feel powerless to enact change. And I think that's a lie. I think that we think that if we don't take care of ourselves, that that will happen to us. We don't like the idea that whatever is happening to that person will happen to us. We want it to be their fault that something happened to them. So we can't, we cannot do the same thing. Um, we're very, it's very self-preserving, I think. And mm. I think the truth I want to say to people is that it feels like it's going to be worse for you or like you'll have to sacrifice a lot to help somebody else. And it's an upside down economy. It's the exact opposite. We don't serve people so that we get in return, right? That's manipulative. But a byproduct of authentically caring for the people around you is that your time is increased, your energy is increased, your resources are increased, and it doesn't make sense. In our American economy of take care of me and take care of mine and make sure that I'm, you know, my savings account is full and I have whatever, right? Like it's very self-centered. If we could flip the script on that and if we could be more generous, not to the point where we don't have anything, like we have to value ourselves, we have to have value here, but to the point where we're just more generous, we will get gain more from that. It's a byproduct of it. And so I just want to call out the lie that if you choose to step into a hard issue that you're going to lose, you're not going to lose. You you can only win. Will it get harder? Yeah. Will people maybe say mean things about you? Will you like get excommunicated from Facebook? That did happen to me. Yes, you might. <laughs> um, but on the grand scheme of your quality of life and the and your purpose, you can only win. You can only win. And I, I know I've been doing this for almost nine years and it has been the hardest thing I've ever done. And it is the most rewarding thing I've ever done. And there are days that I want to quit and I wish I didn't know. And it was never my dream to sit and talk about how people are sexually exploited and to hear awful stories. But this is what's been laid before me and it's the world we live in. And we cannot turn away from the humanity around us and the power we have to bring change and it will not make your life worse. It can only make your life better. And I just, I promise, I promise. Yeah, so true. Uh, there's there's uh, something going on in the spiritual community that says you can only focus on the positive, the positive, the positive, the positive. Don't look at the negative because if you look at the negative, your energy will get drawn there. And the next thing you know, da, da, da. but there's a power in looking at the negative and being part of the solution. Wherever there's crisis, there's yeah. an opportunity for change. And so if you're yes. denying that, you're also denying what's happening in your own evolution. So I challenge you to deny what's happening yeah. is to actually allow it to happen. It doesn't change anything, to, right? No. Yeah. No. Yes. It's yeah. your light that's yeah. going to bring the change. Yeah, so, we need to turn on more lights. Turn yes. them all on, love on them, transform that darkness into light and bring more people to that place. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes, it is a hard conversation, but you know, if you notice in yourself the courage, the strength, and then tune into your power and then your capacity to affect change. Oh my God, that is amazing. And you, we, each and every one of us have that soul power 
to really influence change and be the change that we wish to see in the world. So I want to learn more about your nonprofit and how can we how can we help you out? What do you need? How can we serve you? Yeah. So Stories Foundation, the whole idea was that we would bring awareness to people and then we would give them opportunity to take small steps to be involved in the work. So we have run, like Dina said, a food truck for the past three years. We do catering. We have an online store. But this year we're breaking ground on a give back cafe that will be a hub for awareness. It will be a hub for jobs, for survivors and housing. We'll have two apartments and to cover vulnerabilities. And then it's a way for people to come in and to take a first step through what they purchase, to know that what they purchase, the profit is going back into the work of changing culture, inspiring communities and implementing action in the fight against trafficking. And we want to franchise it. So we're in Minnesota soda, but this is our first cafe and our dream is big and we want to take it, we want to take it national because we believe every community needs a hub for awareness, for culture change, for covering of vulnerabilities. I really believe that business is powerful and that dignified work is so valuable, especially you were talking earlier about the trauma that we carry, especially people who have been abused. There's so much trauma there and there's redemption and there's healing through through finding your purpose and through dignified work and through being a part of a community. And so that's really, I just want to build, my heart is to build a platform for everybody to be able to, to live their story well. And that's really what we're doing through the cafe. So I'm raising a crap ton of money right now. So if you know of anyone that wants to, you know, partner with us financially or through awareness, we are, that's why I said, yes, I say, if anyone wants to know about human trafficking, I say, yes, I never say no. I'm always here for a conversation about trafficking and exploitation. And we have an online curriculum. If you want to begin an education journey, we have a subscription box for families to start conversations with your kids. There's a few left of those. You can get that on our website. And then we're raising money for this awareness cafe. And we have a ton of opportunities for people to join in and with that as well. So what I'm getting from you is you partner with businesses to yeah, raise we the do. Aw- yeah. awareness. What type mm-hmm. of businesses are you looking for to partner with? Any business, my like target market is anybody who their heart has been touched about issues of justice and they want to do something about it. They're ready to have a different conversation. They're ready to invest their time, energy, finances. They're ready to use their influence to enact change. That Those are the kind of people I want to partner with. Okay. So let's just say for an example, I'm a coffee shop owner and I'm ready to, and I'm not, but just as an example, how does that look like? What What's the relationship look like? Yeah. Yeah, there's a few different options. We could, I would, I always start with awareness. Awareness is action because we can't have different conversations until we become aware of the issue going around around us. So I would engage first on an awareness level. We could do a presentation. We could train your staff. We could lead you through the online awareness curriculum. That's where we'd start. And then we'd see what feels good next. I mean, there's opportunity through fundraising. There's opportunity in the future for jobs or job training or partnering. We really are looking in the future as we have our space doing job training opportunities so that people who have been vulnerable or who are survivors, they can get exposed to a lot of different options so they can know what kind of job they want. You know, what do they want to do? So partnering with businesses in that way. And then 
we're having a boutique in our store. So I'm always looking for people that have products and I love women-owned businesses or products that give back and do good. So if a coffee shop roasts their own coffee beans, maybe that's a conversation we have. Or if you make, you know, we're partnering with with a company or it's actually a nonprofit and they make soaps and lotions and we'll sell those in our, in our boutique. And so just always looking for collaborative opportunities to change conversations bring more awareness, increase funds to go back to this work of changing culture in our communities and supporting survivors and those vulnerable. Wow. Wow. And Dita, do you have other ways that are examples of uh, partnering up with Stephanie? Well, you know, a lot of business owners have that capacity of taking donations or hosting those informational things. I mean, if you have employees at your company. This is definitely one of those things that is worth a learning session, if, especially if your company has topics of interest, that that's something that they can put on the calendar. I know I'm in a direct sales type of a position. I can certainly do my own fundraisers and donate proceeds. There's a lot of companies out there that can do that type of thing, that a portion of the proceeds on a certain day will go towards that foundation just to raise that awareness. Like, well, why is this place so important for you to raise money for? This is a direct impact to our community here in the Twin Cities. So it's kind of a no-brainer to, you know, whatever it is that you do, you know, find that way to either bring the awareness or, you know, do a little bit of fundraiser because that, again, you know, it shows that value. Like this is worth me taking that time to raise this money because that's how important this is. Wow. Wow. Thank you so much. And any final words, anything you want to make sure gets brought, you know, to awareness? I just, I just want to say that I want everyone to know how valuable their own personal story is in the fight against injustice. Your influence matters. Your choices matter. You have so much power. And my friend Dina is an excellent example of choosing to use her voice and her influence to elevate this work and to create change in a really dark issue that affects all of us. And it's not going to be flashy and it's not going to be big. It's taking small steps with intention every single day and it's not quitting and it's persevering. And then in five, 10, 15 years, we're going to be able to look back and we're going to say, wow, things changed because we did the hard thing every day. And so I just, I want to encourage everybody that the lie is that you don't matter and you can't do anything. And that's a complete lie and you do matter and your choices will create change in your community. Wow, 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 that's amazing. Thank you so much. How about you, Dina, any final words? No, just, I mean, there is hope, you know, but only if we do something, you you have to do something and we all have a way to contribute with our, our talents. Yeah, this is such an amazing conversation. Thank you so much, Dina and Stephanie for your valuable time that for, you know, joining hands with me in raising awareness on what's going on in the world. There's so much crimes against humanity. Human trafficking is just one of them. And I thank you for your voices. I thank you for your beautiful minds. I thank you for for using everything in your power to create change and really build a beautiful world for all of us. I do not believe my daughter when she says we are up for extinction. I mean, 
when I say this, it's it's being extinct over my dead body. But yeah. <laughs> not if we can help it, right? Not if yeah. we can help it. Not, and and our our you know talking about value and influence, it's a ripple effect. We we just never know who we're gonna touch with conversations like this. And like I said to someone earlier, if Facebook ever kicks me out, you know, at least I stayed till the last, till the very end, unwavering fighting with every bit of me. Thank you, ladies. Dina, Stephanie, God bless you. More power to your work. And please provide links below so that people can reach you. Yeah, thanks for the platform, Tess. Thank Thank you. Thank you. God bless you. Bye-bye. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Soul Power to the People podcast with Tess Vergara. We can no longer be the spectators of our own destruction. Take back your mind, take back your voice, take back your soul, take back your power. Join me again next time for the next episode of Soul Power to the People.